Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Well, the last uh, few months, since early in February, we've been um, working through the book of Revelation, the last book in what we call the Canon of Scripture, in about AD 397, um, the Bible was finally declared, we believe, uh, under the guidance of uh, men that the Lord had worked through, and uh, the last book of that canon, or the, the canon just means like the straight rod of Scripture, is the book of Revelation. We've been stepping through that over the past few months, been some interesting stuff and some complex stuff and some challenging stuff. Uh, today, though, we wrap up with this final talk here from Revelation 22. And uh, like all good books, often they'll finish uh, with a summary or concluding thoughts. And Revelation is no different. It's a bit like of everything we've said and written. We now want to summarize that and leave you with our final thoughts here as we sort of conclude this book. It's like, here's the takeaway from all that I've written then you've had to process and read. Well, John's going to do the same thing for us here in Revelation 22 as we go through these final verses. It's like a summary and it's his concluding thoughts to this epic book that he has uh, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. So we're going to step through John's final thoughts here for us to close, as it were, this series, Fear Not Tomorrow, for tomorrow has already been won, uh, as we close here the canon of Scripture, the final words we have of the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, please go with me to Revelation 22 and we're going to read verses 6 through 21. Starting at verse 6, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold... I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to eat the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, and sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about these things for the churches. I'm the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. 
the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. God, thank you. Thank you so much that we have the privilege to have your word and to be able to read this right now. Lord, there is so much here for us to worship you about. God, we pray now, let your spirit come as we begin to open up this passage, grow our hearts in faith, help us to see a glorious King Jesus. And may we too echo the words of John, come Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Okay, uh, we reached the end of Revelation, uh, given to the Apostle John. Uh, it's a book uh, that isn't meant to be pushed aside as too hard to read. Often we can get to this, the book of Revelation, we said this right back at the start, this is too hard, I don't want to deal with this. Uh, it is challenging, but it's not meant for us to be pushed aside, it's there for us to grow our faith, it's there for us to grow our hope and our perseverance in following Jesus Christ as well. That's what John's written for, he's written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, about 2,000 years ago roughly and those churches are reflective of the church scene right across the world today. The Bible is timeless. People really haven't changed. We might have adapted some modern things and some different technologies and things like that but the same things people are dealing with back then are the same things we are dealing with today. So we really can find ourselves amongst uh, the seven churches here in Asia, Asia Minor The Bible speaks into our generational context just the same way it speaks into theirs. John wraps up this book here with a series of warnings and blessings and we've had a fair mixture of that as we've gone through the book of Revelation over the past few months. There's been a mixture of these really sobering warnings right through Revelation and at the same time there's been this glorious array of God's gracious promises for us as well. It it contains both there for us. Here's where we're going to head today as we think about this chapter and begin to unpack it and see where it's going to land for us. It's this, the Sovereign Lord Jesus is coming soon. We've heard that a number of times in that passage. Coming soon to collect his bride. As we wait, let's live in holy obedience to his word and carry out the mission that he's given to us as we wait. Now, I did say a couple of weeks ago I was going to um, answer some questions. I didn't actually get any email questions to me over the last couple of weeks, so... Maybe everybody's got it, that's good. But I did say I would touch base on that one tricky passage in Revelation 20 which talks about the millennium. So let me just speak about that just for a few moments there and then we'll come back and we'll jump back into Revelation 22. Now if you go to Revelation 20, um, you'll see this word the thousand years. The thousand years there mentioned a few times is probably near one of the most confusing chapters in the Bible for many people to read. What does this mean, this thousand years? Uh, Again, this highlights, particularly as we've seen through Revelation, this extremely symbolic nature of apocalyptic writing that 
John has written the book of Revelation in. Uh, there's a whole lot of symbolism with all the creatures and the trumpets and the seals and things we've seen through uh, the book of Revelation. Okay, so as we think about this thousand-year period, um, within the church there's three positions where people land as far as understanding what does this mean. Those three positions are this, uh, there's pre-millennial, uh, millennial and post-millennial. There's some words to think about, isn't it? Three different positions where people land as we think about what does this thousand years mean. In short, Premillennial means this. This is one position how people read, particularly chapter 20 there in Revelation. Uh, Jesus returns to the earth to establish, this is premillennial, Jesus returns to the earth to establish his kingdom along with believers for a thousand year literal period of reign of peace on earth at that particular time while unbelievers are still there on the earth at the same time. This is the premillennial position. And then after a thousand years, then Jesus brings final judgment on all unbelievers and on Satan. So, Jesus returns and brings in this peace for a thousand years. That's, that's one position. Postmillennial says this. Postmillennial says Christians, not Jesus, Christians establish Jesus' kingdom on earth where Christian peace and harmony dominate the world scene for a thousand years. And then Jesus returns for final judgment and establishes his new heavens and new earth after these thousand years and then Satan and all unbelievers are judged then. That's post-millennial, so it's Jesus comes after the thousand years. Third position is millennial, which sees the thousand years as symbolic along with the rest of the imagery that is right throughout Revelation. The thousand years is the current church age that we're in right now. At some point in the future, Jesus then returns to usher in his uh, final judgment and his new kingdom. So, premillennial, postmillennial and amillennial are the three ways that people interpret that thousand years and it's all to do when does Jesus come. Now, how do we see that here at Exchange? We see this as a secondary doctrine or an open-handed doctrine, we like to refer to it here as well. What that means is it's not of critical importance. We're not going to dig trenches and start to have sort of warfare against each other about which way we happen to see the thousand years. We don't do that here at Exchange with secondary doctrines. What you believe about the millennium will not affect your salvation, whether you think Jesus comes before or after. It's not going to affect you. It'll affect perhaps the way you view the future and the way you might think and live, but it won't affect your salvation. You'll probably fall in one of those three positions and that's really okay. And I'm probably maybe talking to people who do fall in all those three positions across the congregation here. Now, for what it's worth, and you may be asking, well, Todd, you're the pastor of the church, where do you sit? Where do you sit with those as I look at those three positions? For what it's worth, I take the millennial view as I read the thousand years, that we are actually in the thousand year period now in a symbolic nature, falling in with the rest of the book of Revelation, and we are the current church age and Jesus will return somewhere down the track. 
So I hope that hasn't taken me off your Christmas card list for this year. Like I said, it's a secondary issue and we all can love each other and agree to disagree if we don't see it the same way as me. And I'm totally okay with that. I hope that's cleared up the millennium for you. Anyway, let's jump into Revelation 22. And guys, as I was looking at this chapter this week, I got super excited about it. Just super excited about it, thinking about what, how John is wrapping this up and just the beautiful words there that he just pens to finish off this chapter. Just loved it. Just really, really loved it. Filled me with hope and anticipation in our glorious Saviour. Okay, so what we have here at the end of Revelation is an epilogue. It's an epilogue. These are John's conclusions and final instructions here to the seven churches. He rounds out this book here with a series of warnings and blessings. And what I want to do is just step through the chapter quickly so you can have your Bibles open here at Revelation 22. And we'll just see John as he actually talks about blessings and warnings here for us. Firstly, blessings are seen in verse 7 for the keeping of the words of this book. There's blessings there. Uh, in verses 8 and 9, there's warnings. Don't worship anything else except God. Uh, and warnings again in verse 10. Don't seal up the words of this book. Unveil it for all to see. Don't keep it sealed up. It's meant to be everybody's meant to see this. Verses 12 and 13, there's another warning. I'm coming soon and I'm bringing judgment with me. Verse 14, there's a blessing we see in verse 14. For those who've trusted in Jesus, they'll eat from the tree of life. So we're getting this mixture of blessings and warnings here from John. Uh, Verse 16, there's another blessing. Jesus, the root of David and the bright morning star, testifies to these things himself. I'm putting myself here. This is me saying this, Jesus is saying. There's a blessing in that. Verse 17, there's another blessing. It's an invitation to come. It's an invitation to become and to be rescued and saved from this world that we're in, this broken world we're in. And there's another now warning in verses 18 and 19. Don't tamper with God's word. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. There's a warning there that John's given to us. And then there's a beautiful blessing to finish there in verses 20 and 21. Jesus is coming soon. And grace to all of us who trust in him so you can see john sort of summarizing the sort of blessings and warnings as he he steps through these final verses here in chapter 22 now if there's a really good solid common thought that's coming through here i think it's this in this last chapter i'm coming soon jesus says it three times verse 7 verse 12 and verse 20 he keeps reiterating to us i'm coming soon i'm coming soon i'm coming soon when is Jesus coming back? Wouldn't we all love to know that? As a young guy, I used to think about this a lot. I was about 10, I reckon, I started to think about it. And I sort of thought, Jesus, please don't come in the next few years. I want to get my license and drive a car. (laughs) Did anybody else think like that? Yeah, good. A few few hands have gone up. Then I thought, Maybe let me get married as well. That'd be good too, you know. Yeah, sort of have these funny thoughts. That I didn't want him to come back, but hey, when will he return? Short answer is, nobody knows. We don't know. There's no set time there. Actually, Jesus says in Matthew 24 that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. 
Now, we can make all sorts of predictions and calculations, but we don't know. And later in that same chapter of 24, Jesus says, I'm coming when you least expect it. Like a thief in the night. When you don't expect a thief to come. And Jesus says, I'm coming as a thief in the night. So when we think he's really going to come, maybe that's, no, he's not going to come. He's going to come when we least expect it. We don't know when Jesus is coming. But he is coming. He is coming. So, I want us to think about this. Okay, John, you've given us this really powerful, sobering picture here of final judgment and salvation throughout this book and you've given us this series of warnings here and blessings through the last chapter. What do we do in the meantime as we are waiting for the return of Jesus? What are we to do, John? What's your instructions for us? How would you like us to be waiting for this return of Christ? Well, here's a couple of things I'm pretty sure of that we shouldn't be doing. Jesus doesn't want us to pack our overnight bag and head down to Tullamarine and check into the gate lounge and wait for the next flight to heaven. He doesn't want us to wait passively like, let's just wait. Jesus doesn't want us to do that. And I'm convinced as well that John doesn't want us to devote our time and energy here calculating time graphs and charts trying to plot all these things that are happening here in revelation to sort of with predictions and speculation of what's taking place trying to work out when jesus is coming i'm pretty confident john doesn't want us to spend our time and energy doing that either here's what i think jesus commands us to do as we await his return jesus and john want us as we wait for Jesus to return they want us to be on mission to rescue others have a look at what John says in verse 17 he says this the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who see who hears say come let the one who is thirsty come let the one who desires take the water of life without price What do you think that verse is? It's an invitation, isn't it? It's an invitation. The Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working through the bride, working through the church, the followers of Jesus, calling and beckoning others to come. Come. Come away from the brokenness of this world, of your own life. Come away from the brokenness of what we're surrounded by here and come and find true life in Christ come the spirit and the bride says come it's an invitation and let the one who hears say come so as we issue out that invitation we want them to hear that we want them to respond with the come we are we are calling come and we're praying that they would hear that call and then we long to hear them say i am coming jesus that's what we long to hear from our family and friends who are yet to know christ Again, what we heard earlier from Ben reading from Matthew 28, that that is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and to make disciples, teaching them all the commandments that I've taught you, Jesus says. That wasn't just for them, that is until our very last breath for each and every single person here or until Jesus comes. We remain on mission. We remain on issuing that call for people to come. 
Now, if you think about that, it makes perfect sense in the light of Revelation, doesn't it? To be on this mission. What is Revelation? It's a message of the gospel. John, through a series of smaller letters to the seven churches and these symbolic visions he uh, took us through over those previous chapters, is reminding us and making us aware again of Jesus Christ, the Lion and the Lamb. He's reminding us again of this warrior king who's going to come riding on a white horse, who is both our judge, we saw that really clearly through Revelation, but also our saviour. We're fully aware of the, of the just and true judgments that, of Jesus that are coming. We, we've seen that really clearly in Revelation. The final day of judgment will come. It will be a terrifying and an awesome day. So it makes completely sense in, in understanding what's happening... Let's be on mission. Let's do what Jesus has told us to do. Who can we urge to come and be part of Christ's kingdom so they do not have to go through that judgment? Of course it makes sense. Be on mission, John would say. Issue that call of come. Let the Spirit work through the bride, through the church to do that. We desire people to be saved, to come into a living and loving relationship with Jesus. Again, we need to be reminded of what we live in just here. Probably 95% plus people in the greatest Shepherdon area don't know Christ. So if Jesus is to return today, that 95% plus people will face him in judgment, not in salvation. There's a massive mission field there for us. We want to call these people to come. This is why we gather on Sundays and through the week, to be encouraged in that mission. We want to connect people to Jesus and to grow people to Jesus. We come here to be encouraged and built up and and stirred in that. Revelation does exactly that. And then we go out in the Holy Spirit's power to call people to Jesus. Uh, What have we been doing the last few weeks um, in our CG groups? Um, Talking Jesus early on and the next one now is about how we actually can practically do that. Again, that's part of the mission we're on. We we, we actually want to carry this mission out, so we want to practically think about how we can do that. Jesus doesn't want us to sit passively here and allow those 95% to go down the broad path of destruction on mission. It's the very same reason why we're building a gospel ministry centre. It's not just a clubhouse to meet in on Sundays... It's a place for gospel ministry to be equipped and sent out and unleashed to go and carry on the mission. We do these things with the view in mind that Christ is returning and we are going to call and urge people to come into his kingdom. We've got the hope that the world is looking for. They just don't realise that's the hope they need. That's the mission we're on. It's come, come. Come and know Christ. And we need to show them that hope through transformed lives and gospel proclaiming that Jesus is that hope. So while we wait for Jesus, we're on mission. We're thinking of ways how we can connect people to Jesus and grow people in Christ. Another thing that Jesus wants us to do as we wait for him is this. He wants us to live in holiness to live as holy people. Have a look in verses 10 and 11. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, 
and the filthy still be filthy now watch these next words and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy so for those outside of Jesus in verse 11 they will carry on in their evil and their filth we want to call them and beckon them into God's kingdom but we know some will keep carrying on in that lifestyle but take note of what he says next for those in Christ the righteous will still do right and the holy will still be holy it's a call to us to live in holiness holiness is the life of a follower of Jesus till we breathe our last that is what that's the beautiful calling that we've been called into is to live holy lives think about our second reading today that uh, Ben had for us in second Peter verse 10 spoke about the day of the Lord coming like a thief that's before that's yeah we don't expect it judgment is coming upon us the earth but look at what he says there next in verses 11 and 14 he says this since all these things are thus to be dissolved since all these things are going to happen Peter's talking Peter's talking end time here what sort of people ought you to be knowing all that what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but according to this promise we know what's coming revelation tells us really clear we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells therefore beloved since you are waiting we're waiting since you are waiting for these be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish to live holy lives to live in holiness and to be at peace peter makes it real clear there doesn't he you don't confuse that what sort of people ought you to be in the light of knowing what's coming in holiness and righteousness we are to live holy lives before the lord as we await for his return to come back now let's not get holiness confused here because sometimes i reckon we do get what holy living means confusing in our minds holiness isn't this okay it isn't this it doesn't mean we isolate ourselves away from the world find a cave up in the hills somewhere make our own clothes bake our own bread and drink home-brewed kombucha okay that's not holiness it might sound appealing and attractive at times but that's not holiness that's not what peter or the rest of the bible is talking about here when we get to holiness holiness is the daily struggle in the holy spirit's power and gospel truth putting to death our sinful desires and temptations in short it's separating ourselves from sin and evil and setting ourselves apart for the lord as holy people to reflect his holy character out through our lives holiness is showing god's love in the spirit's power to anybody and everybody including our enemies including those really difficult people who might live on the other side of your fence holiness means loving them there are no political divisions when it comes to holiness well i vote for them and i 
There's no political divisions when it comes to... There's no racial divisions when it comes to holiness. In fact, there should be no divisions when it comes to holiness. They might want to cause divisions with us who are outside of Christ, but from our perspective following Jesus, there are no divisions. We love anybody and everybody. That's what holiness does. Holiness is forgiving all people for any offences they've committed against you, regardless. No disclaimers, no get-out clauses. Holiness in the power of the gospel and God's spirit is forgiving everybody. Holiness means this. It doesn't mean you have a continual attitude of sadness in mourning over your own sin and also the brokenness of this world. Just note the words there, continue. We may have seasons of sadness of our own sin and we should have that, but holiness doesn't mean we've got to be down in the dumps and grieving and broken and mourning and barely get off the ground and that's just how I'm all the time. That's, that's not holiness either. So just hear me clear, there'll be seasons... Yeah, we'll have deep mourning and grief over life, but we don't live in that area. The gospel frees us from that. Holiness actually is experiencing joy in the gospel and experiencing joy in Jesus. Holiness is a joy-filled life. It really, really is. Don't let the devil for a moment deceive you into thinking that if God's going to call you down this path of holiness, he's calling you down a path of killing joy in your life. Don't think that for a minute and don't believe that for a minute. The most joyful people in the world should be followers of Jesus. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is a state of mind that we know who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. Christians should be, and I know there's different personalities that might come into this, but there's an element where we should be the most joy-filled people in the world. You see, gospel-driven holiness tells me this. I walk in holiness from the position that I'm already holy because of what Christ has done for me. I'm not trying to earn this holiness or try and gain this holiness or I'm trying to get something from God. I'm already made holy by what Jesus has done for me at the cross. So that liberates me now to live in that holiness for him, to reflect his character out through my life. That's a joy. He's made me holy. He knows what's in my mind. He knows what's in my past, but he calls me holy. That then liberates me. I'm not trying to get over that bar to become holy. I am holy, but now I can live in that, what Jesus has done for me. That liberates me for joy. Holy living is joy-intensifying living. As you live in holiness, your joy grows. Holiness is walking daily in glad obedience to the Word of Christ and that yields great peace in our lives. To live in holiness is a peace-filled life. When, When I live in disobedience to God's Word, what happens then? Well, I feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel crushed on the inside because I know this disobedience is just shrinking me and destroying me. But when I live in holiness, it's liberating. It brings peace. This is the life that God calls us to. It's a life of holiness. 
when I'm living that way, I walk in this really beautiful relationship with God in, in pursuing holiness. And this is marked by peace and it's joy and it's righteousness. That's the way God wants us to live as we await the return of Jesus. Holiness is a beautiful place to live with Jesus and with others. It's peace-filled, it's joy-filled. Holiness doesn't immune us from suffering in life. Really important to understand that as well as we pursue our life. Sometimes we think, okay, if I just do all the right things, that somehow God will give me this really comfortable red carpet ride through life. No, it doesn't work like that. Think about where John's writing to these people. They're pursuing, or many of them are pursuing holy lives. They're not getting a red carpet ride of comfort through uh, Asia Minor at this time. You can pursue holiness and we should and we will still be persecuted. We will still be unjustly treated. We will still go through sickness and we will still go through death. Holiness does not, doesn't immune us from the sufferings of life. But faith in God through holy living will empower us to suffer well. Because we know this sickness or suffering is not impacting my relationship with Jesus. That is safe and secure in Him. So I can still enjoy Jesus in the middle of suffering. Holiness doesn't immune us from suffering. It actually enables us to suffer well through those challenges. What is holiness? It is both a solo project and a community project. Sure, not everybody's going through the same battles and we, in a very great extent, need to face that battle ourselves because it's us who are dealing with those thoughts in our mind or whatever it might be. It's solo, but it's also community. It's also community. Why is that? Because when I come here on Sundays or meet with people through the week and doing smaller community, I'm receiving strength. I'm receiving encouragement to fight those battles. So we're not meant to be the Lone Ranger in holiness. That's not it. It's community holiness together. This is the great, beautiful thing about church. Spoke to a friend last night just at a party I was at and he's been a pastor in a church for many, many years and he tells me last night, I said, what church are you going to? He said, oh, I gave that up five years ago. Oh, mate. Your heart sinks when you hear that. You think... You've just cut yourself off an avenue of grace that wants the God, God wants the God wants to give to you in your life. This is what the body's for, to help us to grow in holiness. Now, holiness and the mission, they're linked together. They're linked together here. Here's why. The, the mission we're on now has gotten a little more challenging over the last 20 years of the culture we currently live in. The, the culture is somewhat turning on Christians don't actually really like what we've got to say on many issues in life now that's just where we're at but gospel focused spirit empowered holiness should be attractive on many fronts to those who are looking in on a Christian community bearing the fruit of a spirit-filled life we should be likable people we should be loving people we should be people who are kind and peaceful and generous that's what holiness does. And that becomes really important here as we think about uh, the mission. It should make us attractive people. people. Christians should be the sort of people that people want to be around because they're kind and they're generous and they've got this Christ-like character uh, towards others. 
And here's how it may work for the mission. People may not like what we believe. People may not like what we say. And we need to be really resolute in our convictions of what the gospel tells us about across many issues. So they may not like that. And they may not like what we believe. But our loving, holy character must confuse them. It's got to confuse them. And I mean this. So from their perspective, the, the, the world, how can they think so differently to us and yet be such nice people? How can they stand on this different line of thinking, this different worldview, and yet they're such loving people? Because I know my other friends, if I differ with them on opinions, we actually get verbally abusive towards each other. But these Christians, they think really differently to me but they're such loving, caring people. It should confuse them. It should say there's something different about these people, that they think differently to us, yet they're such loving and kind people. This is how Jesus wants us to live as we await his return. On mission, living holy lives that are attractive. Doesn't mean we're going to get a welcome door everywhere we go. But it tells people there's something different about us and that should be attractive, hopefully looking for opportunities for this mission to be carried out as the character of Christ lived out through us. What is Revelation? It's a very timely book for us. Yes, filled with sober warnings of judgment and hell, which bring clarity of focus to our mind. We touched on that a few weeks ago. It brings clarity of focus about what's really important about life. Life's far too important as we think about this clarity of focus. Far too important to waste it by getting distracted by the smallness of this world that we can find ourselves in sometimes. As we said over the weeks gone by, I think in my social media profile is the main game in my life. That is such a small view of this world. Or my next camping trip is the next big thing for me. It's okay to plan a camping trip, but that's not the big thing in life. Or my new car is the big dream. No, that's still a small view of this world. We've got to get a bigger view of this world, a bigger vision of this world. We've got to see the next world. And this is what John has been doing for us through the book of Revelation. We've actually got to see what we sung about before, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We've got to see the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We've got to see these things. We've got to see that the sovereign Lord of the universe, who rules in in unlimited power, despite what's happening around this globe and world, he will crush his enemies and he will make all things new. We've got to see our glorious king coming for his bride, the church, the redeemed, to live with her forever in love and joy. And this is exactly what John does for us as we meditate and go through this book of Revelation. John opens up for us a grander vision of what we're looking for, of actually what we are made for through the book of Revelation. He wants our hearts to be filled with a yearning and a longing for Christ. He is the main thing in our life. Let's not get caught up in the speculation of the weird and dizzying theories that people can get caught up in Revelation. Let's not get caught up in that. Let's get the big picture that John puts before us. Let's get enthralled by Christ. Let's treasure him as our Lord and Saviour on mission and in holiness. And if we get that big 
grand picture and keep it growing in our hearts and lives as we keep meditating upon the word, I'm sure our hearts will say the very same thing that John says here as he closes this book. Look at it again with me in verses 20 and 21. He says this, this is Jesus. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. John responds, amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. What a beautiful way to finish. I think many of us could sit here now and say the same thing. Lord, for all the stuff I'm going through, come, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, let's be on mission. Let's live holy lives and let's lift up the all-surpassing treasure in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you today that we're able to come and open up the book of Revelation. Father, what a glorious picture of your son that you've given to us. Lord, so much is difficult to understand in Revelation, but yet so much is so clear to us as well. I pray, God, that you would grow a larger vision of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He would lay down his life so that we could be rescued and saved. That, Lord, you have given us a hope beyond this world, a hope that is fixed and is sure and cannot be removed. And let our hearts fix our eyes upon that hope, I pray. Let that, that, let that then get the problems and the challenges we have now in their right perspective. They're real, they're hard, they're painful. But the hope that you give us carries us through to work through all of those challenges and difficulties. Grow that hope, we pray, Holy Spirit. And then from that we pray, let us be on mission, Lord. Let us be thinking of the people we know in our world. Praying for the people that we know in our world. Seeking out opportunities to share Jesus with them. Doing this through lives of beautiful holiness, joy-filled holiness, relationship building with you, Lord, in holiness, and relationship building horizontally with each other as well in holiness. Lord, we long to be that people that we are attractive because of the character of Christ living out through us. Do your work, Lord, we pray. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.